The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. You hear the music and you see the raging oh. bull and you know what that means. The Dow hitting a record high for the first time since January 26, joining the S&P 500 and NASDAQ, which are both at all-time highs as well. And you might be getting tired of winning this record close to the Dow, making it the 100th since President Trump was elected almost two years ago. So with the rally in full gear and stocks at record highs, where is the best place to put fresh money to work right now? Pete. Pete. Well, you know, based upon what we're seeing right now happening in the 10-year and this steady move to the upside, I actually still think that the financials, it's just the beginning. I think this is finally the time for the financials towards the second part of the second half of the year. I think the financials actually look very good. When you look at the balance sheets, when you look at the economy, you look at the strength, if they can actually get some of that loan growth starting to kick in as well, I think this is the place to be. Now, I'm overly exposed to the banks, and I think there are some that are overly inexpensive versus some of those that are overpriced right now. But overall, I think there are many opportunities in the big financials. Why do you say you're overexposed to the banks? Why am I overexposed? Because yeah. I honestly think that that is the place, the next rotation. I mean, what we're seeing right now is this. The Part of the beauty of this market has been the strength in the rotation. We've gotten about out, of the, out yeah. of the fang. You suddenly moved to the industrials, and now you move to some of the transportations, the rails, and the rest of that. And now I think that the financials, now their time has come to start moving to the upside. I mean, it was just yesterday when we were saying, oh, was this just part of a rotational move, right, right. out of fangs? But today we saw everything rally. We had multiple sectors up by more than 1% apiece. Well, on one of our calls today, Karen brought up the dollar. I totally agree. In fact, the dollar was down almost 70 basis points. And I, so, you know, what do you invest in now? If you think about the rest of the world, where arguably we've continued to get weaker data points, and yet the underperformance has been more extreme than even the data should have supported. If you're in a place where the dollar is weakening and it doesn't make sense considering that yields are actually near highs, you'd expect that this would be a sign that the U.S. economy uh, is growing and that the dollar differential should be helping it. Point being, look, that dollar weakness broke through the 100 today. You buy Europe, you buy emerging markets, and you buy those places that were most hurt by a stronger dollar. What do you think of the markets here? Well, I agree with everything that Pete said. For me, I'm overweight financials as well. I mean, and she agrees with nothing I said, by the way. I, I, no, you said some good stuff. I, I mean, there was a lot well. about the dollar in there and all that. Sure. I, so that's, I, I think they should have been here before this rally, right? I was very frustrated to be owning them and just having them lag and lag, even though I think the story was really compelling. It's gotten more compelling as we've seen rates move. And they move pretty quickly and pretty just slice through like butter, right, mm -hmm. through that three-year mark. And uh, that's interesting to me that there hasn't been more of any kind of response to that. That's interesting. But I like the banks. I still think they're cheap relative to the rest of the market. For all the reasons Pete said, economy's growing. 
Balance sheets have never been this good, so we'll see big buybacks, dividends. Uh, not that that drives anything, but it's Dan hates the banks. No, come on, Dan. We really no, think. he likes well, them. I, I would just push back and just say, you know, you're talking about this economically sensitive group that should be very exposed to, you know, a better U.S. economy. But we're also in the tenure of an expansion. We're in a tightening cycle now. We know that we've hit peak autos. We know that housing data is soft. We know that financial conditions are getting tighter. So you tell me how loan growth is what you just mentioned because yep. you're happy that you're seeing the. the you know, the 10-year above 3%. We're also seeing the narrowest, you know, uh, spread between the twos and the tens since before the financial crisis. So to me, I think you're getting this kind of dead cat bounce in some of these banks that haven't participated. I know that you've been calling and you've been calling for new highs in J.P. Morgan. You got them. Congrats, ladies. I, I mean, you know, wow. at this point, we're still yeah. seeing... Yeah, lady. No, I don't know where But what I'm saying is, is that this might be nothing more than a little bit of a bounce off of... Um, so you think you it's know, short term? What we're seeing right be. now in the financial I, I, Listen, I, I'm just telling you that I'd be very shocked to see, you know, some of these investment banks make move back to the highs. They're still down more than 10%. This is Goldman. This is Morgan. But the a city lot is of their businesses are not investment banking business. That's not what drives, like, a J.P. Morgan. No, I understand. So, so, business, so the, the two banks that are up in the year, J.P. Morgan and... Um, uh, Bank of America, two massive money center banks that should benefit greatly, but but the rest of the complex are not uh, doing particularly well. Look at Wells Fargo today. They made an announcement they're going to cut 10% of their workforce over the next few years. These are not particularly healthy institutions, despite the fact that they're cheap and their balance sheets are much less levered than they were, let's say, 10, 15 so years ago. So between Citi, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan, all of those I th still think have plenty of upside, right? I think they're all still extremely cheap, especially Citi and Bank of America, and they've got exposure in different areas. But how about something like an Ameriprise? How about something like an E-Trade or a Schwab or any of those types of names where they've got incredible amounts of capital, Dan? Isn't that's something that I'm not just saying yeah. Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley. I'm saying the banking industry itself has room to the upside. All right. Sure. Well, let's move on to some sure. other sectors that should also benefit from a, an economy that's growing. Industrials, for instance, materials. I mean, Tim, where do you, where should, we, where can we buy at this point well, with the markets uh, of record Again, if, if you look at materials and, and you look at the places where the trade war is something that at least is held in question, what truly the outlook of these companies is going to be, even though steel utilization is at all-time highs, steel prices are at all-time highs, utilization is not at all-time highs, but it's close. Um, I, I think the materials trade is very interesting. What I, what I am concerned about, first of all, is what we talk about at least regularly here. I, I'm not really sure that this is your father's you know, trade war. I think we have a dynamic here with China that is really more based upon control of the internet, control of technology in the 21st century. That's not going to end overnight. I think the pressure on these companies continues to be very sporadic. Um, but when I look at the industrials, I would go to the autos uh, and just say, what's nice here is that actually we no longer are talking about peak autos anymore. Uh, I think the, 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 what you should be looking at with GM is that this company continues to earn six to seven, you know, almost seven bucks a share uh, at a time when I think their business has never been run better and I think it's a company that's also positioned for the EV story and robo-cars and robo-taxis. So that's a name I like. It's a name that's really lagged this market. And it's a name I think you should I'll give at. you a name. How about yeah. something like Caterpillar? Now, I pitched this a while upgrade back. It was today. 140. They got an upgrade today. And you go over the last three years. They were earning $3 a share back in 15. You go to 16, 17, now 18. That number is now closer to 10 or maybe potentially $11 a share. So why is that? Because they have so much strength right now, and they've got all the capital. They've got incredible cash flows. And when you look at their, how they're made up right now, 50% of it's coming from the U.S. They're really focused on construction here. But you've got the international component as well. So you've got a little bit of both. We've got Tim's World and the International, because you were just talking about some of that, yep, Tim. Yep. And you've got the U.S. exposure. So that's a name where I don't uh, – when you look at where it's trading from a valuation perspective – 
This is a name that has plenty of upside. It's definitely value-wise, it's well under the S&P 500, which trades at what, 17, 18, 16, yeah. 17, something like that. And we're looking at a name that's trading at 11 or 12. I mean, this is a this is a stock that I think today's that upgrade today, I think they gave it a 170 target. I think that's actually reasonable. I think that's something that they could hit in the next year. Yeah, and it wasn't just Caterpillar. They also upgraded Manitowoc. Uh, Manitowoc yeah. every day. So industrials. That has not worked at all. URI is yeah. working. They did an acquisition. I mean, they feel pretty good about their business to be doing acquisitions. I, I am a little bit concerned, though. I think any hope ever we, we ever had of an infrastructure bill is really completely gone for a while. That would have been nice. I'd like to see a little more strength in housing, but I, they're not expensive. Really not expensive. So yeah, I would actually push back and say infrastructure. Let's say the Dems do take the House. This is an area where in 2019, I think you could see some compromise. This is stuff that Democrats usually like to do, not Republicans. And so that would be the sort of thing where, if ultimately, if the president does lose the House, right, they're going to have to compromise to get anything legislatively done going forward. And that was one area that I think would do very well. I'll just make one point. I don't like any of the value names, especially as we get to a point where we're finally back to new highs from late January in the Dow. The S&P made one um, a few weeks ago. I think you go with kind of what got you here. You go with beta, you go with momentum, you go with growth, because right now the value, they have so far to go to even get back to a kind of decent level. And I would just make one point about the but is dollar. That is, is that on the charts? I mean, what's the point here? Because, because it, yeah. we're just not, we're, we're 10 years into this recovery, and I just don't think value, you're going to see this. If, if the if the S&P and the Dow are going to blow off, okay, I just don't think it's going to be value is going to be the next leg of it. And then obviously to put a button on the dollar thing, if EM debt and equities have been, you know, kind of weighed on pretty heavily, about the rally in the dollar from April. EEM, you know, was at 52 six months ago, went down to 40. Now it's at 43. That's where you get your beta right there. Well, when stocks are selling off earlier this year, our next guest consistently said to buy the dip. Here's one of his more recent calls in, in July. So we are making a new high on profit margins. We're not peaking profit margins. We have a lot of duration here, and that's why I'm a raging bull, and I would buy weakness. We hope you listen to Tony's advice because since that call in July, the Dow has rallied more than 6%. There he is now, Tony Dwyer, Canaccord Genuity's chief market strategist. He's back, sees more upside ahead. So, Tony, how do you stay so bullish here? Well, Mel, our core thesis that it keeps us buying the dips for the better part of nine years is that the market correlates with the direction of earnings. The direction of earnings is driven by economic activity, and in many ways, the economic activity in the U.S. is driven by small business. So what we have here is the NFIB, the National Federation of Independent uh, businesses, they do what's the broadest pull of small business optimism. And what we have is we have a we had a new high for this cycle right here, right? Now we had a high here, we had a high here, we had a high here, and again we had a high here. The reason I put all those on there, from the point that you made a cycle peak in the NFIB, the S&P 500 went up an additional 33% to its peak, and you did not have a recession for a median 41 months. So I know Dan and some other people are worried about the duration of this cycle. It's not the duration, guys. It's about the availability of credit, economic activity that leads to profits, and the market correlates with the direction of those profits. I think Tony comes on over. Tony Come has over, Tony. Well, I think he does. He's pretty much like getting in Dan's grill. That's sounds like they've got, a, sounds like they've got a score to set up. <laughs> the last time he called you guys ladies, I'll lace him like a Thank you. Lace him like a way, Since when was that an insult? I take that as a compliment. So you've Thank been you. consistently bullish for a very long time, Tony. Yeah. Um, Almost annoyingly have, so. Well, I mean, no. it's been sort of a difficult call to it's make work. at times, like in July. But, you know, as time goes on and, and up until now, has the sectors that you've been bullish on 
changed? What are they now, and, and have they changed during the course of this run? They have, and, and basically, you know, in what may be one of the worst fast money calls, since you give me credit for being right, let's give a little bit for being wrong. When I, I said buy banks, that has obviously not worked, as Karen identified earlier. However, I think that is, we're involved in what we call the productivity trade. Right? Capital spending was up over 25% or over 20% in the first quarter. In the second quarter, it's likely going to be pretty close to that for the S&P 500 in the third quarter, et cetera. What that means, how do you fund capital spending? Well, banks and financial institutions, and it is capital markets. I'm not scared of the capital markets companies here. Financials fund it, industrials implement it, and technology is the brains behind it. So those are the three areas that we've been focused on, and they haven't worked all perfectly, but I think, uh, you know, we've stayed with them, and I think it's going to work pretty well here. So just stick with the same. I mean, have, but say versus eight months ago, were they the same sectors that you liked? It was. Or are they so, different? Yeah. Okay, so, so, again, so as this call goes longer and older, the, the, um, the character of the rally doesn't change too much. No, it typically okay. does, and Dan was right about that. You don't typically have sectors lead you and then stop, have new sectors take over. The one thing I would say is that you do get, you've had this kind of rotation where the semis have done poorly and just gone flat when other areas like software and services and tech have ripped. Yeah. So kudos to you. You've been right even when it looked like it was Thanks, a, Gary. you know, unusual call. So in your model, how do you think about where rates are? Does the move in rates start to bother you at some point? And if so, where? Well, when we did the buy the banks piece, Karen, it's a great point. What you typically get when you flatten the yield curve to the current degree is you get right before it inverts. And we're pretty close at 25 basis points today. You get this bounce up in the 10-year note yield that causes the curve to kind of steepen real quick, and that's when the banks rip. They have this, and I wish I saw it earlier because I wouldn't have done the spot at that time. But that's what, the, I think rates are probably just going to be plus or minus 3%. It shouldn't be that much. If the Fed, because the economy is so good, is ra and people, I think, really make a mistake in this. When the Fed is raising rates more aggressively because the economy is good, the long end should actually trade down in yield because isn't that a disinflationary move? If you're tightening Fed policy to intentionally slow the economy over a 10-year period, that's disinflationary. But, that's what ends up inverting Tony, the curve it stays flat. How aggressively are they tightening? You know, we're, we're not, right now we know that we're going to get a rate uh, hike next week, but there's debate about December. There's debate about whether sure. there's going to be three in 2019. So my question is, is that, you know, we have a Fed that really wants to speak very dovishly, right, and they want to act when it's okay for them to tighten, to normalize, but they seem very scared about it. And that leads me to believe that the economy is on much weaker footing that the S&P 500 at 29 and change is telling us. Well... As you guys know, I've said many times on the show, this is going to end badly. This is going to end badly because you cannot fix debt with exponentially more debt. There is always a catalyst to make that happen. This is not rocket science. This is not magic. Recessions just don't show up like guys like me say. You get an inversion of the yield curve that causes banks to, and other financial institutions to stop lending. Credit stress increases. Small business optimism starts to tank. Consumer confidence starts coming in, and manufacturing activity slows every cycle. We keep trying to make it different, Dan. It's not different. You cannot fix debt with more debt. It's not about the rates. It's about the ability of people to borrow from institutions.
Tony, we've got to leave it there. Thank you. Good Great. to see Thanks you. Thanks for Tony having Dwyer, me. Tony Dwyer, Canaccord So I'm somewhere in between Dan and Tony. I mean, I, I think the point on debt is a very important one. Global debt to GDP is north of 300 percent. We're, we're actually in some sense higher than we were pre-crisis. Certainly you could look at corporates and say that outside of uh, a select few AAAs, you're actually in a place where we are in a place. I, I think the Fed should be cautious, though, Dan. And I think the reality is um, they are going to move cautiously. And for equities, that's not a bad thing. My view is that, look, we're going to front load some growth into the next month or two, and then I think it's very difficult sledding from there. Coming up, check out shares of Micron turning lower moments ago. We'll tell you what the company just said on the conference call that sent shares sinking, now down 2%. Plus, it's up, it's down, it's halted, it's soaring, now it's sinking. Talk about national sensation Tilray, but those uh, wild moves could be highlighting a key trend in the industry. We've got all the details. And later, Nike hitting an all-time high, and despite all the Kaepernick drama, it is the best-performing stock this year. We'll tell you what's got investors just buying the name. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Nike hitting another all-time high today. This is the company held its annual shareholders meeting. Sarah Eisen's got all the details from the NYSC. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Melissa. It's been a winner all year long. So earlier today, Nike chairman and CEO Mark Parker addressed shareholders at the annual meeting. Parker touted Nike's strong results and the shareholder value that's been created. He was, though, asked about some of the workplace issues, made his most extensive public comments yet about the internal corporate culture scandal. That, remember, led to the departure of 11 key executives in the past year, including the number two at the company and widely believed successor to Mr. Parker. Parker responded, saying he's grateful for the employees that spoke up. He says the most important job is making Nike the kind of place we all want it to be, saying the company is committed to creating an environment of inclusivity, diversity, and empowerment. He added that they're implementing new employee training and leadership development programs as they learn from the mistake. He was also asked about the controversial Colin Kaepernick ad campaign by a shareholder. Parker defended it, calling it an inspirational campaign and said that he was incredibly proud of it. Now, according to the latest data from Edison Trends, sales did jump online 27% after that campaign was released during the Labor Day weekend, but have since leveled out around the growth rate that they were before the campaign. Investors have largely shrugged off both the internal changes and the noise around this campaign, as the company has repeatedly put out strong results globally and has even proven that it made good on its promise to turn around the key market of North America. Shares of Nike up more than 36% so far this year, best performer in the Dow. Shareholders also rejected a proposal that would have required Nike to disclose more information about the company's political donations. That was the sixth time that was voted on, remained opposed by the board. On Tuesday, the company does report earnings. So, Melissa, we will see how much of a direct impact all of this had on the bottom line. They clearly couldn't talk about the results as they were in quiet period ahead of that earnings on Tuesday. You know, it's just interesting, Sarah, there have been so many different research operations, companies out there releasing these sorts of data points about sales, but none of that has been confirmed by Nike. And do we have any sort of 
ideas to whether or not they've been accurate in the past? Not sure about that, but you're right. It hasn't just been the sort of online high-frequency data like Edison Trends, which I mentioned. Canaccord just recently put out their own internal survey. We don't know exactly the accuracy, but I think it, it captures a similar theme, and that is that when it comes to the message that this was supposed to resonate for, the audience this was supposed to resonate for, younger consumers, buyers of Nike products, remember, they've got a huge constituency below the age of 45, that that, that didn't make an impact or it didn't at least have a negative impact, that a lot of the protests, the boycott Nikes, that was maybe from an older crowd, a lot of social media noise, but, but you're right. We're not going to see until they release results. And even then, that'll be early to see the results, yeah. but I'm sure that executives will be asked about it on the conference call. All right, Sarah, thank you. Sarah Eisen joining us from the NYSC. Well, as Sarah mentioned, Nike is also the best-performing Dow stock year-to-date, crushing its competition in the athletic wear space. So while Nike has soared, though, Foot Locker, Under Armour, Skechers, they've all plunged 10% or more in the last three months. So do you just keep buying Nike, Tim? You know, Nike, to me, it's a name I'm long. They've been on as much of a tear in this last period. They're up 68% in the last, you know, nine months as they've been in the last decade. So for all those people that were counting these guys out, North America, Q4, you had an inflection point. China, for all the concerns around trade war, China's contributing 25% of revenue growth, about 18% of EBITDA growth. And I still think it's very well positioned in terms of women's growth, DTC. So uh, I love the story. Not cheap. And I think at this point, it's getting near that place where um, I don't necessarily sell my position. I would not be saying, hey, I think there's great value here. Yeah. Not long ago, I sold it. And, and for that reason, yeah. because it's not getting cheap. And, I, you know, it was a couple dollars ago. But I, I got to tell you, with the Kaepernick thing, we talked about it that night on this air. We talked about the idea that it was a risk. And it was a risk that they wanted to take. And it's not the first risk Nike's taken Did you sell taken before the, the Kaepernick ad, or did that yes. make no, you think no, twice? No, okay. before the Kaepernick yeah. ad. And I wasn't, uh, you know, I don't think that was a reason to necessarily buy or sell, but I, I think there's still competition's going to be here with Adidas. But if I'm going to be in the athleisure space, and the one name that wasn't up there is Lulu. I continue mm -hmm. to own Lulu. I see the growth in men's, which is outrageous. E-commerce was 50%. You, you, uh, you rocking some Lulu I in the gym? I rock a little bit That's of Lulu, my son and I both. And I got to tell you something. Yeah. I, I, love, I love their product, but I love what they're doing and the growth that they've got. Yeah, Karen, it, you were still in Foot Locker? I'm in Foot Locker. Yeah. Disappointing earnings. I mean, I think the stock is really, really cheap. Obviously, they are, they're not a brand. It's a distribution. So that, that weighs on the multiple by a lot. But to me, it seems excessive here. And it does correlate with Nike, even though in the very near term it hasn't. Yeah, I would just add, so they had this meeting today. There's obviously been a lot of talk about Nike. The stock's made new highs. It's up 20% since they reported last quarter. So these guys talking about growth, you know, it, they're expected to grow earnings, uh, mid-teens, sales, high single digits, that sort of thing. You're paying 30 times. It is getting a little expensive. I'll just add one point, though. Since they guided in late June, we are just talking about the dollar. 60% of their sales come from overseas. Tim just said 25% of their sales growth comes from China. So a weak dollar kind of gives them a little bit of a tailwind, at least as far as forward guidance. But I I think, you know, if you could get this thing back towards the low 80s and set up for a move back to 100 towards the end of the year, that's the way to do it. All right. For more on Nike, you can head over to CNBC.com to read all about its brand building and record run. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Tilray shares are going in reverse today, and the move could highlight a key difference between it and other pot stocks. We'll tell you what that is. Plus, Karen is bringing the heat, pitching one industrial stock that has sat out the rally but is about to come to life. The name when Fast Money returns. What's on the horizon for financial markets? 
At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on chipmaker Micron, the stock turning lower and sinking in the after-hours session. Let's get to John Ford back at headquarters with more on what took the stock down. Hey, John. Hey, Melissa. Two things mainly. One is a weak guide. The street was hoping for a revenue guide of $8.45 billion uh, consensus and uh, Micron guided to a range of 7.9 to 8.3. So the top end of the range below where consensus was. Also, the street was looking for $3.00 four cents roughly EPS they guided to two dollars and ninety five cents plus or minus seven so again that guide uh, be uh, below the range of where the street was looking also then tariffs while they said that they expect the gross margins in the current quarter the first quarter to remain healthy uh, CFO Dave Zinsner uh, says quote our gross margins will also be impacted in the near term by the announced 10 percent tariff on $200 billion of imports from China, which will go into effect on September 24th. We are working to gradually mitigate most of the impact from these tariffs over the next three to four quarters. And as you guys can see, Melissa, the stock down more than three, well, a little less now than 3% in the after hours action. All right, John, thanks. John Fort, back at headquarters, breaking down the quarter from Micron. You know, there's a little bit of optimism going into uh, the print today. I mean, today there was uh, the point made that Samsung looked like it was being very disciplined when it came to DRAM and NAND. Um, Mizuho made that point, which would indicate they thought that MU would have a decent guide, didn't have the decent guide. And, you know, it's really been a tricky trade ever since the company came out at that city conference and said prices were weak. Well, prices are weak. And look, there's price sensitivity, too. I mean, if anything, the whole story here has just been, you know, how aggressive or how rational the producers are going to yeah. be to control prices. And in a price war, I think you lose some of that. I think you get very defensive. And that's one of the dynamics here. People don't trust. Yeah, yeah I mean, listen, I, I think that we're talking about industrials. We're talking about the sorts of things that lead us higher. What is kind of indicating that we've got a next leg? I mean, Micron, you know, when you think about memory, it's going into a lot of things other than just, you know, PCs, smartphones, that sort of thing. And you really have to think what that means for some of their uh, industrial buyers, too, or the, you know, the devices that they're going in. So this stock is down 30%. I just don't see it um, returning to its past glory anytime Ooh. soon. And we know that in the past cycle, it had a peak-to-trough decline of 70%. Yeah. I, I do see it going higher, and I, I know the guidance was a little bit weak, but when you look at the numbers that they delivered, their numbers were fantastic. I mean, this quarter. And you go back last quarter, it actually was almost the exact reverse in terms of how the stock reacted in the after hours. So I still think when you look at this, ever since David Tepper brought it up, the stock is up like 4 or $5 from that moment that he talked about how that excited he was about week. that. Just a week yeah. ago or so. So this little bit of a pullback that we're seeing now, I don't know. I'm not overly worried about it. When I look at their buyback, 
the share buyback will be something huge. They're talking about $10 billion. Well, it, if that gets announced or implemented, that's something that I think absolutely pops the stock higher. Yeah. Karen? Well, I'm a little afraid of, I don't have anything in the space, I'm a little afraid of when a cyclical industry turns. Having We talked about GM earlier. That's turned in terms of the sentiment. and It doesn't matter for the stock. It just gets cheaper and cheaper. It's really frustrating. So I'm not right inclined to jump okay. in and maybe do the same thing. If again. you think that semis as a cyclical sector have turned, what does that say for About the, the rest of the market and for the economy? I, it could be more isolated if they grew faster, if they grew too fast right. for themselves and not everyone else grew too fast. But they could also be very correlated, and that, could, that, that would be bad. Yeah. Speaking of chips, Intel rallying today. The options markets implying there's even more gains ahead. So, Dan, what'd you see today? Yeah, so talking about cyclical turns, I mean, Intel topped out months ago, and it's down considerably from those 52-week highs. Um, but there was a call buyer, and I think it was on the heels of your a power pitch last night. I yeah. mean, you went, the you power went bullish. Pitch. Or the fast pitch, either way. Or the yeah. fast no, pitch. No, not but, either way. But today, <laughs> it is a fast but pitch. today <laughs> call volume was two times that of puts. And there was one trade that kind of caught my eye when the stock was trading 46.70. Shortly after the open, there was a buyer of 3,000 of the November 49 calls, paying a dollar two for those, those break even at 50.02, up about 7%. And I think you want to go back and think about why somebody might be looking out and up like that, because as Pete said yesterday, there's a couple potential catalysts. We know that they're looking to hire a new CEO as soon as possible. They're going to have earnings. They've had a couple disappointing guides. And if that were to turn, that would be a target, I think, 50 to the upside, where you could probably get some good tools. And the fundamental stories there, and in the previous two days, as you were talking about, I talked about that yesterday in the fast pitch, but they were buying the November 2nd expiring, the 46 calls, then the next day the 47 calls. Now you're seeing more of the November calls. That tells me a lot because winter earnings, October 25th. So all this sort of makes a lot of sense on why people are getting more and more bullish, and now we're seeing it now in the options market. All right. For more options action, check out the full show. That's tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, Wall Street has been taken over by the cannabis craze. There's something happening with Tilray that could be a key indicator for the rest of the pot stocks. Plus, Karen Feinerman here, the chairwoman, stepping up to the plate. She says there is one industrial stock sitting in correction territory that is poised for a major breakout. Much more Fast Money straight ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Pot, pot, pot. That's the hottest word on the street right now with cannabis stocks seeing the craziest swings. But betting against cannabis stocks, not so easy. Breaking it all down, a man who's never afraid to live life on the wild side, Dom Chu. Yeah, wild side. I mean, Melissa, marijuana stocks are still pretty lit as well. I mean, Tilray aside, that probably lends a good amount of validation to the notion that Tilray wasn't really trading on any rational fundamentals when it surged yesterday. And many traders cited technical reasons for that volatile trade, like the very small amount of shares available for trading or the short squeeze as some traders bought at higher prices just to close out money, losing positional bets on a sales or a share drop. Uh, I mean, Tilray has lost around $3.5 billion alone in market value today. It's down 18% on a day when many of the other well-known pot stocks have actually built on yesterday's rallies. You take Kronos Group, which is up 8% today, or Canopy Growth, up 6%. Some cannabis investors are actually looking at that kind of price action as perhaps a little bit more constructive as opposed to the nearly doubling of share value in Tilray at one point yesterday. And if you are looking for another example of the crazy trading dynamic behind Tilray as of late, you cannot short Tilray right now or very difficult because there are simply no shares to borrow. Prices vary depending on who your broker is. And without getting too in the weeds about this, get it? But for those already short, the cost of making a bearish bet on Tilray shares is around 400 times, 12 times 
more expensive than shorting shares of, say, an IBM. And the same goes for many of the cannabis stocks out there. Traders who are trying to get a locate on shares to borrow and short or want to traffic in options are getting used to seeing the letters HTB that is hard to borrow. So, Melissa, speculating on and hedging against the downside, pretty darn expensive in these cannabis names. Back over to you. All right, Dom, thanks. Dom Chu in the newsroom. Well, as you heard, Tilray, of course, seeing the wildest swings among all of the pot stocks these last few days. And those moves highlight a key difference between Tilray and the other stocks. Our own cannabis king, Tim Seymour, owns a number of pot stocks, is also on three advisory boards for cannabis stocks. And for all of Tim's disclosures, you can always go to fastmoney.cnbc.com. But Tim, oh, how is Tilray different? Well, first of all, yes, cannabis stocks, not pot stocks, by the way. So first, U.S. IPO. So first money raised totally here, not a Canadian plate, because we know that the Canadians actually have been the ones that have been leading the entire capital markets effort. Why? Because you can bank it there. So the fact of the matter is that this, this IPO is done here. This is a, a, a global company, good for Tilray, by the way, very tactical move on their part. This didn't just happen overnight. They planned their NASDAQ listing, off they went, and by the way, that means a lot more people can invest in it. It's a much bigger capital markets, and that's the, other, that's the argument here. This is the largest market cap, so it's almost been a self-fulfilling dynamic. This is actually now significantly bigger than Canopy, the name that really put this entire called sector into a frenzy when it announced that the Constellation Brands was jumping in. So the valuation is really what's the, the, the problem here. It's not that Tilray isn't a company that's well positioned just like a handful of others, like many others, but it's the valuation where their funded capacity is seven times uh, more expensive than that of Canopy when they have one-tenth of the funded capacity. Again, this is not an insult on Tilray. This is just the reality. There are companies that have more uh, in terms of going on there, but that's not what should define it. The valuations where people are just, you know, on, on some levels been, I think, most hurt. This is really what I want to point out, because if you want to follow what the stocks have done, and this is, this is the IPO date of Tilray, and it, and it kind of went uh, sideways, sideways. It rallied out of the gates until we got to this point where the entire sector took off. Remember, this is Canopy. But then you saw Tilray go through this moment where it actually went parabolic somewhere in here. What I think is going on is ultimately it's capital markets players, it's hedge fund players, it's people that know a lot about the sector or at least know a lot about trading that said, this makes no sense to me and I'm going to get in there and I'm going to play it. And what happens is actually a lot of people have been caught short stock. Dom talked about the dynamic on the borrow. What you really see is people are able to borrow the stock intraday, but it also explains why it tends to close stronger by the end of the day because they have to get that stock back because they can't really borrow it. That's what's going on here. Tilray is a capital market story at this point, even though it's a company that's very well positioned in the sector. Karen's got a question. Yeah, so when we look at the activity yesterday in Tilray, even today, I mean, so many days you could pick, is that a good thing for the evolution of these companies? Well, you know, I'm talking to guys in the space, and, and those of us have been investing here for a long time, the, the, the general outcry is, Oh, I, I, you know, we're waiting for the crash. And, and the bottom line here is the sector's never been more relevant. The legislative news has never been more interesting. The ancillary industries have never been more robust. The, the, the raison d'etre, the reason why people are focused on this sector has never been better. Uh, the trading around these stocks is volatile. You have to be careful. Très bien, monsieur. <laughs> Je m'appelle Timothée. <laughs> well played. Oh, Tim, no. thanks for that. Touche. <laughs> Coming up, Amazon added again, this time unveiling more than a dozen new Alexa-enabled devices in the news. Had investors selling a number of different stocks today. Plus, the chairwoman here has made her way over to the plasma and is winding up to pitch a stock that she says is ready to rally. What is the name? Should you buy it? Much more fast right after this.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for an instant replay. Back in July, Karen said it was time to buy United Rentals. It was down about 24% over the last, not that long, two months or so, which I think is really overdone. I think it's trade war. I like United Rentals right here. I bought it about, right about this level where it is today. And I've owned it on and off for the last year or two, off for a while, but now I'm in. That was a great call, despite all of the trade war turmoil. United Rentals up 16% since then. So do you still have it? Yeah, I still have a couple things happened. Really good earnings, and they had uh, an acquisition that they announced that will be accretive. So I'm sticking with it. All right. Well, that was a winner, so why don't you go to the all plaza right, and give us I'm another idea. I'm going to the plaza. All right. So this idea, sometimes the market just presents an opportunity right at your feet, and I feel like it did last week in FedEx. That's my pitch for today. So a few reasons that I like it. Of course, always I turn to valuation. That's where I look first. So FedEx is cheap valuation to the market, but more importantly to that, FedEx is also a cheap valuation to itself. So what do I mean by that? So we have a chart here to show the history, or we don't, the history, there we go. Here's the history of the PE of FedEx. And you can see, even though the stock's up, the PE has come down a lot. So I think the business is great, and yet here you have a chance to buy it on sale. So we go back to the reasons. It was misunderstood, that earnings call last week. They missed the current quarter, or the just past quarter, rather, by 36 cents, and yet they guided for the year about 20 cents higher. So net-net, it really wasn't that much of a difference, but the stock was down $14 the next way, the next day, which is really excessive. If you're a high flyer and you miss by a little, then you get crushed. But if you're trading at 15 times earnings and you miss by a little, and I actually think the guidance will probably end up being a little bit, uh, a little bit sandbagging. It'll actually end up being better than they guided. So that misunderstanding, there was higher labor costs, and people were really sort of confused by that. But to me, the guidance should really have been the overwhelming thing that one should have taken away from the call. So when you look at the earnings and you look a little further out, they maintain their guidance. They up the for 19. They maintain their margin goals for 2020. So the stock is really cheap on those valuation metrics. And then the last thing is, I'm pretty optimistic about the macro environment for e-commerce and for, for their end business. They are more business focused than a UPS as opposed to, to the retail consumer. But I like anything related to GDP growth. They also are a more worldwide, which may be a good thing or a bad thing, we'll see. But for all of those reasons, I think FedEx presented a very nice opportunity last week, and I bought stock. Karen, I got a quick question for right. you. In terms of the UPS versus FedEx, how did you yeah. determine exactly? Say that one more, one more time. So I think they're both great. They could actually move together. I wouldn't be surprised at all. You have a little bit different mix in the end customer. You have a little bit different mix in geography. UPS is more U.S.-centric, uh, probably about 80-some-odd percent. Uh, versus FedEx, which is about two-thirds in the U.S. versus the rest of the world. So if that weighs on you, if you want to, either way, if you want to have more outside of the U.S. exposure or inside, you would pick one or the other. But I just think the overreaction to that earnings made me be a FedEx buyer as opposed to UPS. Hey, so, Karen, you're a value gal. That's one of the things that attract you to the situation here. The stock is basically unchanged on the year. It's been pretty volatile. Doesn't it kind of make you a little spooked that the trade's cheap to its history and cheap to the market? And it just can't get going here, and maybe this one's a pass. Well, I don't think it's a pass. You can think it's a pass if you want, which is fine. I feel like, the G, you know, GDP is growing. These are good numbers, and this should participate with that. 
No more questions. Time to vote. I think I know how Dan's voting. Are you buying Karen's pitch on FedEx? Pete, what do you say? I'm not going to pass. I prefer UPS because it's more domestic, but I'm a buyer, Karen. I love the fundamental story of this company. Dan? Um, I loved Karen's presentation because I love Karen, but I think it was pretty meh overall, my, my final conclusion. That's I'm not okay. a buyer. I just think the stock should be participating right now. It's way too cheap, but it's not. So, you know, I think you have a one-up, one-down risk-reward, which is not that favorable in the market at an all-time high. All right, we'll see. Tony Braxton may see. We'll see. Timothée. Don't worry about it, Karen. I'm on your team. And bottom line is FedEx to me is a great macro story. It's also a story that TNT continues to actually deliver on the margins. I think it makes the cops tough, but I love FedEx here. That's a great drawing of Karen, Tim, well, I have to I say. Well, I mean, you have to be careful sometimes. All right, sorry. Here we All right, go. The de there you go. Aw. All right. The desk is weighed in, but what do you at home think about Karen's pitch? You can log on to Fast Money uh, right now. Vote. We will reveal the results later on in the show. Plus, the madman nice. talking Tilray. You will not believe who he's blaming for the wild swing. Stick around for that and much more at the top of the hour. We are live at the NASDAQ market site. Much more Fast Money straight ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. There's a brand new lineup at Amazon. The tech giant unveiling 14 new Alexa-enabled smart devices today and dozens of new Alexa features. One of them is even a smart microwave. Let's get to Aditi Roy in Seattle for all the details. Hey, Aditi. Hey there, Melissa. That's right. Amazon announcing a slew about 70 new Amazon Alexa products and features. And the highlight was definitely the Amazon Basic Microwave. They actually got Wi-Fi to work inside and they demonstrated with the potato. Once they put the potato in, everything else except the eating, of course, was hands-free. It's super simple. I have a demo potato. First for that, too, by the way. Put it in. Uh, there's a button on the microwave that allows me to uh, trigger one potato. There it goes. Uh, Starting I wish potato, six minutes, 34 seconds. I wish it was more complicated. <laughs> it cost $60 and ships later this year. Another big highlight was the Echo Auto. It has eight microphones built into it, and it has a dash mount as well for that Echo device. It's fully integrated with Alexa, and you can use it as a navigational tool. It even can read you a book. Alexa, read my book. Getting your selection from Audible. Resuming the sum of all fears. So much the better for everyone if this had happened while mounted Alexa, on that foolish... Stop. Gonna have to try to figure out where, which book that was. Uh, it will cost $50, and the company is partnering with car manufacturers from Toyota to BMW and Ford on this project. Melissa, back to you. A lot of fun stuff out here. Can we go back to the microwave for just a minute? Because there's something that? that just escapes me. I mean, okay, so you have to put the potato in the microwave, and then you tell the microwave to cook it. So where? So does it actually save you any effort? And then you have to take the well, potato out of the maybe microwave. Maybe you can be in another room. Well, that's a thing. I mean, that's that's like the the real last mile problem is getting the potato to you. Or oh, putting the potato in. Putting the potato in. I know. I know. It's exactly. the first mile and you the need, last mile. They need to have the robot that's, the that's gonna do that. <laughs> that's that's true, exactly. Because if you if you have to leave your couch, then you know the, the whole thing is kind of. Uh, I mean, it doesn't save uh, it doesn't save me any time ROI. whatsoever. 
All right, Aditi, thank you. <laughs> Aditi Roy in, in San you Francisco. Bet. It's 50 bucks, so I mean, it's not like it's, well, it's just funny with all a lot of money to try it. And this happening, the microwave that you speak to, I don't know, you we're going to have a lot of interest in You know who I picture best? Guy Adami. Guy Adami talking about <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is that perfect or what? Oh, Redonkulous. There he is. Where do you go with this, though? I mean, the whole thing is... I think those things are all smart stupid devices. i got to tell you. And I you. think the auto thing is as dumb as can be. There's oh. not a person who gets in a car in this country who doesn't have their smart phone with them that does exactly what they do. And listen, it's not a big deal. I mean, this company can do whatever the heck they want in any but, industry that they want, but the fact that we're talking about it is kind of stupid in a way. So Sonos today got hit on this news. They got hit last because week. Because the speakers are going to be much better, with better sound, Hopefully they stink, yeah. actually. I've had them, and I have Sonos speakers, and they're fantastic. And so I think that, the, you know, with Sonos trading at all-time lows below its IPO price, trading about one-time sales, I think Sonos sets up to be a very easy takeout candidate for somebody who really wants to compete. Now, you could have said that for the last 10 years, but Amazon is really stepping it up now with better quality speakers. That wasn't the risk over the last few years. So I think yeah. Sonos below 14 is I think that was the most exciting development out of this uh Meeting. I'll tell you what, I've seen Dan late night go to the 7-Eleven and cook up a chimichanga. <laughs> Which so, means I mean, that you were also you know, up late night. That's better than potato. Yeah. <laughs> What's our Amazon trade, Pete? Well, oh, you know, I, I think the, the total focus on Amazon should always be two things. It's data, what you get, and obviously yep. AWS. So this is all, to Dan's point, pretty dumb overall, but, you know, kind of fun. The potato so. demonstration is going to go down in the annals <laughs> of history of dumb the things. The, the all right. thing. Up next, final trades. Here's a serious question. Do you know what FedEx delivers? Joy. As oh, in the title oh, of my oh, and they are having the time of their life because America is buying Karen's pitch for Woo. FedEx, our first win in months. <laughs> months. Wow. That's, that's. I'm, how long how has it been? We've been on such a dry spell around here. Tony I mean, was, yeah, we, wow. Yeah. Thank you, Karen. I almost Karen, forgot so what song we play when somebody wins. <laughs> I've never, you know, yeah, I forgot the words been, to this one. We've been having Celine Dion all the time. All the time. All well, by myself. To, to, it, that, yeah. when it's that bad, oh, and also and Tony Braxton. Tony Braxton, sure. <laughs> all right. Five, Karen. Time for the final nice. trade, Pete. Well, we were talking about Micron. They had their earnings tonight, and then when they gave the guidance, that was a little bit weaker than everybody expected. Stock is off. I think on this down move, it's an opportunity to buy Micron. Karen? Well, if it's good enough for America and not Tony <laughs> Braxton and not Celine Dion, then it's good enough for my portfolio. FedEx, I like nice. it right here. Which song do you like better, this one or Tony Braxton? I've never heard this one before. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't even tell That's you. That's for sure. Um, I'll say this. So, so Micron, I think tomorrow's price action is going to be really important. If it heads back towards 40, I think you're going to want to sell the semis, the SMH. That's the way to do it. Dirty dancing. I mean, I got to tell you, Pete, you, you, you get a little bit of Swayze in you. Throwback. Throwback, for sure. Picking up Loopy, spinning oh, yeah. around. Loopy, Loopy, Loopy. Loopy. Adirondack, Adirondack, you know. That's where it's going to play. So I can tell you can do some good dancing, not some dirty dancing. Back to you. All right. That's us for Back here tomorrow. Five Mad Money starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.